What does it take to be a top supply chain company? More Amazon planes take flight. And the latest figures reveal the current health of our supply chains. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Fortnum. Fortnum partners with the world's leading brands to transform their distribution operations to keep pace with digital disruption and growth objectives. Known worldwide as the distribution experts, Fortnum designs and delivers intelligent solutions powered by their proprietary software to optimize fast, accurate, and cost-effective order fulfillment. For more information, visit Fortna.com. As usual, our senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, I will turn the mic over to Ben to introduce our guest. Ben? Thank you, Dave. Good morning. I'm here with Mike Griswold, a research vice president in the industry analyst group Gartner's consumer value chain team focused on the retail supply chain. Thank you for being here uh, with us today, Mike. Uh, Thanks for having me, Ben. Appreciate it. Uh, Mike is responsible for helping companies implement demand-driven supply chain principles that improve the performance of their supply chains. And Gartner recently released its annual supply chain top 25 list, the 16th edition of that that they've done. And uh, Gartner identified some supply chain leaders and highlighted their best practices throughout the industry. Uh, this year, Cisco came out on top, and they were followed by Colgate Palmolive, Johnson and Johnson, Schneider Electric, and Nestle. So, some very familiar names to anybody. Uh, Mike, I'd, I'd love if you could uh, walk us through a little bit. Uh, how does Gartner uh, examine such a complex thing as a company's supply chain, and what sort of variables do you use to to possibly rank them? Yeah, sure, Ben. As you mentioned, we've been doing this uh, for 16 years, and we've had um, you know several iterations. I'll touch on those briefly for what we did in 2020. But we start by creating a list that year to year has anywhere from 290 to 310 companies. The inclusion criteria are, are pretty simple. You need to be a manufacturer distributor that lands on the Fortune Global 500 or the Forbes Global 2000 need to be a publicly traded company so we can get publicly available financials, revenue greater than 12 billion and 50% of the pro- of the revenue needs to come from physical products. So you have to have an organization that has a supply chain. With that list and that financial data, we have um, a series of KPIs. Uh, if I use your words, Ben, uh, we have um, 50% of the evaluation is, uh, I'll call it qualitative. We look at uh, three financial measures, return on physical assets, inventory turns, revenue growth. Uh, We've had since 2016, uh, a corporate social responsibility uh, portion of the evaluation. This year, uh, we added two new components to that and and renamed it uh, ESG, Environmental, Social and Governance. Uh, Those are all weighted and uh, that's 50% of the evaluation. The other 50% is more of a, qualitative perspective, and it's comprised of two voting um, blocks. 
25% uh, of the evaluation are votes cast uh, by the Gartner analyst community on the supply chain side, uh, and 25% of the vote is uh, from supply chain professionals. I'm sure from many of the folks that, uh, that listen and read um, your material. Uh, that all goes into uh, uh, the process. Uh, every company is assigned a composite score. We rank the companies uh, from high to low on the composite score, uh, and that's how we create the list. We also have, um, based on companies' performance, uh, an area or a category that we call the masters. So companies that have um, sustained excellence in the supply chain, and we define that as having um, a top five composite score seven of the last 10 years. Uh, you need to do that to qualify as a master. And we have in 2020, uh, five masters, uh, Apple, Amazon, McDonald's, Procter & Gamble, and last year Unilever made the list. Uh, we could certainly, I can certainly share, Ben, more details around the methodology, but at a high level, that's how we get to the list. Great, great, thank you. Um, and uh, KPIs is a, a common term in, in the industry that we both use, uh, key performance indicators, uh, and, and it's uh, a way of keeping track of uh, certain variables and how uh, companies perform their business. Uh, so Cisco, when you uh, add up all those uh, different variables and KPIs, uh, came out on top. Um, it, however, uh, this year's study, it, it must be very different from past years because uh, of the enormous impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on uh, global trade, on travel, on freight flows. Uh, could you tell us about some of the trends uh, that you might have seen with companies on, on how uh, they're coping with the disruption? Sure. Um, I think from a methodology perspective, because of the financial aspect of the data we get, you know, we expect the financial impact to be more um, felt in 2021 when we look at that half of the evaluation. Uh, I think the responses that companies made during the during the pandemic uh, that's reflected in the peer and the analyst vote uh, because those happened in April and um, in March. So we do think the methodology will have has had and some of the the rankings I think were influenced if you look at some of the peer and analyst numbers um, by COVID-19. But when I think about kind of what are some of the common denominators of companies that you know, work themselves, you know, through the pandemic. There were four things that that stood out. One was the fact that a number of companies uh, have established centers of excellence or COEs uh, in key areas uh, around supply chain planning, sourcing and procurement, logistics uh, and strategy. The second denominator, common denominator that we see in these companies is they implemented or upgraded supply chain planning and supply chain visibility technology. And I think the visibility piece, um, Ben, was really important. Uh, it gave organizations you know, a better perspective on things like orders, uh, customer demand, a better perspective maybe on some of their supplier ca capabilities and capacities. So that was a big one that we saw in these top 25 companies. Uh, the third one, and I would say almost as important as the visibility investments, were implementing and piloting advanced analytics and big data. When you look at companies in this list, the masters as well as the top 25, you know, a lot of those companies, many of those companies have a lot of acumen in the area of analytics and big data. They understand how to use it, how to mine it, and how to use it to drive um, quicker decisions, which certainly is one of the things that we saw 
as a critical capability during this pandemic is the ability to make quick and accurate decisions. Um, and then the last um, observation I would make around these companies is a significant number of them have ownership around change management within the supply chain. So they haven't uh, necessarily had to rely on other parts of the business to be able to drive change. And if you think about how responsive the supply chain needed to be across all industries, the ability to drive change and kind of you know be able to control your own change element was really important. So I think Ben, those four things would be the the keys that you know that I picked up on as we talked to organizations that are in the that are on the list. Great, really interesting stuff. Uh, it, it, it's striking that uh, that it, however much we've all been uh, really knee deep in the effects of. Uh, the pandemic, uh, it, it seems that some of its effects are really going to be uh, with us and with uh, com companies' balance books uh, for some years to come. Uh, we, we've only seen some muted effects uh, so far uh, for companies that report or quarterly earnings like that. So uh, it, it's something for sure that all of us are going to be uh, dealing with and, and uh, talking about for a couple years in the future. I agree, Ben. And, and if you look, even if we look specifically within just the retail industry, where I spend most of my time, you know, different segments of retail have been affected in very, very different ways. So you're exactly right, Ben. I think the financial impact um, and then the translation of how that um, translates into the customer experience, I think I agree with you completely. We're going to be feeling that, I think, for a while. So interesting. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate your, your sharing all this with us today. It's been a great chance for us to learn. Uh, again, the, we've been talking uh, today with Mike Griswold, a research vice president with Gartner, about uh, his company's supply chain top 25. Uh, this year, that top 25 uh, led with Cisco, uh, Colgate, Palmolive, Johnson & Johnson, Schneider Electric, and Nestle uh, were the names. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for being with us. Ben, thank you very much for having me. Back to you, Dave. Thanks, Ben and Mike. Now let's turn to some of the other supply chain news from the week. Victoria, the latest logistics managers index numbers are out, and what are they saying about the health of the supply chain industry? Sure, happy to talk about that. First, I'll just say the logistics managers index report is a monthly measure of business activity in the logistics sector across um, warehousing, inventories, transportation measures. In May, what, what the researchers found is that the index rose 3.2 points uh, to a level of 54 and a half. And essentially what that means is the level returned to kind of the pre-COVID-19 levels that they had been seeing, which was a trend towards slow and steady growth across the industry. Uh, it's interesting because it was a little bit erratic in the in March and April. March, there was a surge to, um, it was close to 60. It was actually 58.9 was the reading, which was something um, the researchers hadn't seen in, in, in more than a year, I think, or about a year. Um, and then in April, there was a drop to a, a historic low. The index is a little more than three years old, and it dropped to a low level of 51.3. So the researchers were really watching to see what happened in May to see, you know, is this going to level out, return to some regular steady growth? And that seems to be indeed what has happened. Um, it hit 54 and a half, as I said, which is pretty much where it had been for the last year. And that stands in comparison to, you know, really high levels that they had been seeing in the early days of the index. The industry was measuring, you know, in the 60s, even 70s, just showing really, really strong growth. Um, but like I said, it seems to have returned to a sort of slow and steady growth mode. Were there any key points that came out in this uh, month's report? 
Yes, yes. The key message seems to be inventory. It remains really high, obviously. Um, and uh, what they're saying, what the researchers saw was sort of the upstream uh, part of the industry, manufacturing, distribution, really high inventory levels, and are going to need to find ways to sort of offload that inventory. You know, the retail sector is just not in a place to to take it right now. They're trying to get rid of what they have. So that was a really um, key message. Uh, warehousing is at a premium as a result, and they're really kind of waiting to see how the inventory piece plays out. Is there any news from the transportation sector? Yeah, transportation, um, they say the metrics are showing improvement, but still pretty sluggish. So they're watching watching that pretty closely as well. Well, overall, it's certainly good news after a couple of uh, rather dismal months, and hopefully it will help to bring back the rest of the economy as well. Thank you, Victoria. Yes, yeah. And uh, turning to Ben, Ben, you wrote this week that Amazon is flying high during the pandemic. Can you tell us more? Yeah, we did. We learned this week uh, that Amazon, which uh, of course everybody knows uh, as the e-commerce store of everything, uh, they've been keeping busier during the pandemic than a lot of other retailers as people stay home and and, and continue ordering uh, more uh, more online items. Uh, So Amazon this week said that they were uh, going to lease 12 more Boeing 767 cargo aircraft. Those are converted planes uh, from passengers to, to freight. Uh, so just one of those has started uh, performing air cargo operations, uh, but when, when those new 12 are online, it's going to bring Amazon's fleet uh, to more than 80 aircraft uh, at, by the end of 2021. Uh, 80 is quite a big number. Um, it, it just shows that, uh, that Amazon is really continuing uh, to build out it, its uh, delivery muscle. From uh, it, We've seen the, the semi trucks uh, that I've seen uh, containers on trains, uh, their local last mile delivery vans, and uh, and now in a really fast increasing air fleet as well. That's uh, that they're they've got their foot on the gas pedal for sure. How does this move Ben appear in relation to what's happening with their competing carriers? Yeah. Um, so to, on, on the one hand, uh, 80 aircraft, 80 uh, sounds like a big fleet, and it is. Uh, Amazon has been uh, also increasing uh, their hubs. Uh, in addition, uh, that they've picked uh, San Bernardino in California as its newest uh, hub on the western west coast. Uh, but having said that, uh, you look at some somebody like FedEx, and they have something in the range of 430 planes. And UPS has something like 250 uh, cargo planes in the air. Um, and those numbers, by the way, are from DePaul University. Uh, d- despite Amazon's fast growth, if the plan is to compete on a one-on-one level with those guys, then they have some ways uh, still to go. So it's uh, it, it, it's going to be really interesting. Like I said, their foot is on the gas pedal, though. So um, it, it's uh, the, the, this rate of growth uh, may well change in coming years. Mm. Turning to another story, you also wrote about how new technologies are being launched to help logistics operations restart. Can you share more? Yeah, that was really interesting. Uh, we, we've seen a, a, a number uh, throughout the pandemic uh, of companies throughout the logistics industry, um, and, and they're, they're using some of uh, their existing infrastructure, existing platforms uh, to, to find ways to, to keep their DCs going and to keep their workers safe. Uh, the latest example uh, came from Zebra, uh, which is well known for providing uh, mobile handheld uh, scanners and other computers uh, that you see very often on the warehouse floor. And uh, they've basically adopted those by creating a cloud-based system uh, that, that provides proximity sensing, uh, which is to say that 
uh, any worker um, carrying uh, one of the devices uh, can automatically be alerted through a sound or a light or, or whatever their preference uh, if, if they're closer than uh, six feet or whatever the given number is uh, to another worker. Uh, so it, it allows them to not lose track of, uh, of how close they are to other people as they're busy doing their jobs. Uh, and, and as well, that cloud-based system also uh, provides contact tracing. So if a worker were to be sick, or uh, I guess we should say when workers do become sick, uh, it'll be much easier uh, to figure out exactly who they might have been close to uh, so that, that those other people can be uh, tested as well. Um, and, and that can obviously help control any outbreak, uh, provide uh, faster uh, healthcare for, for people who are affected by COVID-19, uh, and also avoid a shutdown of the whole facility, which could happen as well. Um, I did. It, it's important to say Zebra is not the only one uh, with, with some of these proximity sensors. Uh, we've seen versions of them uh, from a lot of different companies, Acquired Data Solutions, uh, Strategic Mobility Group, ProGlove, Triax, uh, that there are a number of them out there. Uh, but it, it, it gives a little peek uh, at, at what uh, we might be seeing ahead as uh, some of the parts of the industry start to reopen. Thanks, Ben. Uh, obviously, the tools are needed to be able to compete and to do the work that we need to do in the age of social distancing. We also want to remind you of our continuing COVID-19 coverage and our list of resources that are available on dcvelocity.com. Go there to check them out. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing the highlights of the news this week. Thank you, Dave. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you. And again, our thanks to Mike Griswold of Gardner for being our guest today. And if you would like more information on the stories we discussed on Logistics Matters, be sure to check out dcvelocity.com for details. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, and other popular podcast platforms and in your app store. Just search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Fortna. Fortna partners with the world's top brands to transform distribution operations into competitive advantage. Expertise includes distribution strategy, DC operations, micro-fulfillment, automation, and intelligent software. Distribution solutions designed today for tomorrow's challenges. Learn more about the distribution experts at Fortna.com. We'll be back again next Friday with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we will look at National Forklift Safety Day. Be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.